1: Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode I have no idea I can't figure it out. I'm simply not smart enough to figure out what episode number this is, and I'll tell you why in a second. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son Chris Reagan Chris. How are you today, my friend?
3: I'm doing well, you know. Uh, just got back from the gym kind of early. So, uh, I'm feeling pretty I'm feeling pretty spry. Yeah. I got So, recently I started uh, drinking coffee again. I haven't I haven't I haven't had coffee yes. in literally pro- I probably like nine months or like 10 months. It's been a long time because I was trying to uh, deacclimate myself to the effects of caffeine because it was getting to the point where it just didn't do anything. And I had a c- cup of coffee this morning and I'm feeling wired.
1: It's crazy. Nice. It's insane. I forgot That's what this exciting. does. I'm <laughs> i i I'm, uh, I'm never, been, I, I have never been a coffee guy. I like it fine. I think it's fine. I like Espresso and Irish coffee, especially, especially when white. I go out to, when I go to a restaurant, sometimes I'll order an espresso, sometimes I'll order an Irish coffee after dinner or whatever. But generally speaking, I have because I mean, my dad's obsessed with coffee. I think my sister Allie's really in the coffee. My best friend Ramon's like a huge coffee snob. Mm. And I just I, I kinda it's similar to red wine, where I think red wine is gross. Straight up. Like I really hate it. That's a me thing. And that's right. the point is that I know that, like, I I see people drinking it and they're smelling it and they're going to the win- vineyards, and I am sitting there drinking like white wine because I am a little girl, and I I wish that I understood it. So coffee is a very similar thing, yeah. Where I am um, like, I, I kind of wish I understood why you are so obsessed with it, yeah. But
3: I I, I can't relate to that. I just know I just know it's full of a caffeine and it makes me feel good. <laughs> it's it's I don't know. I don't like red wine either, to be honest with you. I am more of a white wine person. If I I, I was to have wine at all, which to be honest, I I, I don't know, alcohol in general, I I don't really
1: care for too much. Yeah, I don't I don't drink too much these days. I drink so much. I was bourbon soaked in my IGN days, man. I'll tell you what, just like many writers, I guess. (laughs) Dustin Furman, executive producer. Good to see you today, my friend. How are you doing?
4: I'm great. I just want to add that I feel like coffee is probably my favorite drink. Overall, like, I think it's the the purest form of water that you can have, you know? (laughs) Water is just Mm pre-coffee, and it's fantastic. It's actually kind of... It's somewhat of a side hobby to me, adjacent to video. Not that it takes up as much of my time as video games, but I'm very into the the different, like, um, regions of growing, how it's grown, the different ways of brewing. Uh, There's a YouTuber I really like, James Hoffman, who has like all these awesome videos about like nerdy coffee stuff. So uh, Chris, I'm glad to hear you're back to the world of coffee. I hope you're getting some. Dude, in in Los Angeles, you have plenty of great options for uh, good roasters and stuff like that. So you better not be drinking grocery store stuff.
1: No, Jesus. He's drinking Dunkin' Donuts.
4: Yeah. Whenever you say (laughs) Dunkin'
1: Donuts coffee around my dad, he flips out because he hates it.
4: What is he like then? Does he, he like Starbucks? Yeah, he, stuff? Like star,
1: he likes Starbucks. Oh,
4: I feel the opposite. The exact but, but opposite. What's funny yeah. is that
1: my dad had to. I don't know if you, you guys are young, so I don't know if you remember this. There was a. there. So my dad is a New York City firefighter, as I think the listeners know. He's retired now. And on 9 11, there was a Starbucks near the Twin Towers that was. Trying to charge for bottled water to firemen or whatever. And it was just this like throwaway kind of story that happened. And they apologized. They didn't really know what to do. They were like, because firemen were basically coming in and just like taking everything, right? Yeah. Like for people. And uh, my dad wouldn't drink at Starbucks for many years after that. Mm. And then he finally, like, that broke even my dad, my FDNY dad down. He's like, I got to get the Starbucks. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dad.
4: People love Starbucks. I mean, it just really depends if you want Dark Roast or. Or light roast, what type of person you are. A lot of, you know, the the boomer crowd, they're into the dark roast, but it's not for me.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I really I really don't. Um, well, my best friend, Ramon, he has almost like a, what looks like a chemistry set when he makes coffee. Mm. Like, seriously. Yeah. It's like, insane. Is like, it like these, a pour over? Yeah, it like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. A pour And he's got like the glass stems and like these measuring. I'm like, what? I feel like I was in chemistry lab in 11th <laughs> grade again. It's like he's cooking crystal meth. Right. Exactly. Neither of us are smart enough for that.
3: There's a coffee
4: method that you have like an actual burner and like a bulb. And so when the steam go the water goes up through a tube and then it it's a whole thing. It's a whole uh chemistry thing that seems very cool. I don't have one, but I'd like one. But the pour over, mm-hmm. that's how Holly and I make coffee pretty much every day. It's pour over.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean to, to each his own, um I guess I felt, you know, in a very, very a very serious way about bourbon and stuff like that. And people don't quite understand that and they think it all tastes like gasoline. So I think it is just whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever you like. All right. Very good. With that out of the way, the reason I told you, as you may recall uh, earlier in the episode five minutes ago, in fact, that I couldn't remember the number is because uh, of the episode is because we record these ahead of time. What we like to do with sacred symbols, if you're new to the show or unaware, maybe you're a little slow in the head. I don't know. Uh, and you don't remember the way things have been done in the past is since we've launched the show in 2018 we never miss a week on sacred symbols or sacred symbols plus and that will continue of course this holiday season but we like to pre-record a few episodes to go into those slots so we can get some time away and so what we do every year is we do a few of these episodes where it's like most anticipated games in the next year your biggest moments of the previous year and so on and so forth we'll come back in 2023 into game of the year as we do each year And so that's where this all stands. And so, you know, the episode number because it's written in the title. But I wasn't even mathematically sophisticated enough to go out like five or six weeks to figure out what number this was. Um, I just don't have it. I'm not built for it. I'm just not built for it. But let's get into this, boys, because today's episode, as everyone knows, is about our most anticipated games of 2023. And I think we're finally getting into a year that I think is very promising. I was going through all these different lists. And, uh, you know, Game Informer had one. GameSpot had one. And a few others. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of games coming out this year. And I wrote down probably 15 that I felt I like could have made my own list of most anticipated games. But what each of us have done is we've made our list of five most anticipated games for 15 total. We all have more than five choices in case there's overlap. That way people can make mm-hmm. different selections. And uh, I'm excited to get into these and see what everyone is thinking, because I think that this year. And I think we'll see towards the end of the episode this year is very strong. And I think people will feel the same way. So, um, you know, Dustin, you seem so happy today. You seem like you're in a good mood. You look handsome, and well, I feel like uh, Chris. Not to you. say you don't look handsome. You definitely don't seem That's happy. Okay. I mean, I'm not happy either. Oh yeah, certainly. So don't worry about it. But at least <laughs> one of us is happy, and we're going to go to to Dustin first. I want to hear what your first game is for your most anticipated games of 2023.
4: Let's start out strong. Uh, I didn't really order these, but I'm just going to go with my most anticipated. A lot of you already know this. It's Final Fantasy 16, And I am so incredibly excited for this game just because Final Fantasy 15, I know that there's, there's a lot of diverse opinions about this game. And I actually, there's a lot of things that I don't like about Final Fantasy 15. But there's, I don't know, it, there's something about it that it left me wanting more Kind of annoying, but it's been a while, basically, since we've gotten uh, a Final Fantasy game. And also with that, a more fantasy, Final Fantasy, more traditional fantasy, we should say. And everything we've seen on this game looks so incredibly promising, whether it's the graphics... The uh, the storyline, which I, I feel like I don't know a lot about, but like I said, going back to that traditional fantasy, kind of has a bit of a... a every time I see a trailer, it feels kind of like a Game of Thrones type vibe, kind of a more uh, mature story, maybe in some ways for Final Fantasy XVI. And then I also feel like the combat of this game looks really good, and it's another... Uh, contentious topic around this game just because they are continuing in a more action line uh, as opposed to a turn-based game but I'm okay with that in fact the the past few years have really shown me that I've become more and more of a fan of action RPGs overall I actually think I like them better than turn-based which I like both a whole lot so the reality is is that turn-based games I'm in order to get this kind of budget it just makes sense that they're gonna go with something that's a little more broad appeal and uh yeah this game I I feel like I'm so confident this is going to be at the very least a great game next year and Colin I know you are also I'm, I'm assuming this is on your top five as well and it's uh probably an interesting one for you as someone who didn't like Final Fantasy the last game at all
1: yeah it's um Final Fantasy 16 actually was in my longer list of like 15 games, Mm -hmm. but I paired it away because I assumed you were going to select it as well. And there's just when I was looking at the list, I'm like, I kind of want to talk about some other stuff. Sure. The interesting thing about Final Fantasy 16 is we know it's coming in 2023. I think that some of these games that we're going to discuss are borderline 2023 games. A couple of them have dates, so we know that that's not the case, but Final Fantasy 16 is going to make it. So it seems like a safe bet, a good bet. I agree with you. The The more D&D renaissance, medieval, whatever, not even renaissance, but medieval style combat and weapons and armor and all the things that we are used to from the original Final Fantasy kind of making a comeback with also the trademarks of Final Fantasy in there. I was reading an interview where they were talking about, yeah, there'll be chocobos. Yeah, there, you know, they will be all of these different things, you know, Moogles and and um, cactars and whatever. So there'll be all those binding elements as well. I'm sure the spell names and the we already know a lot about the the summons Final Fantasy 16 is going to be dope. And by the way, I I'm I don't know that I agree with you. I actually think I like turn based role playing games more and I'm actually going to talk about one later. So sure, I will leave leave that for that discussion. But I also love action RPGs. And what I think I just love are role playing mechanics, management of power, weapons and equipment skills, you know, upgrade trees, experience points, shit like that. I like that stuff. Mm. And that's fun in Madden. And that's fun in in uh, Final Fantasy 16. And you're right about there not being a Final Fantasy game for a while. Final Fantasy 15 is going to be eight years old by the time this game comes out, which is absolutely incredible. However, yeah, elderly. And, uh, you know, but we will be more recent with Final Fantasy seven remake and uh, rebirth and crisis core remake and all of the rest so hopefully people are they're, they're they're paving a nice route for this game to do well and i i imagine this game's gonna be huge so we'll see what happens i'm, I'm kind of on disconnect now from it i don't really want to see or read anything else and um so i think we're gonna see that game in the summer good choice final fantasy 16 chris Reagan, let's go to you for your first game
3: yeah, so uh, I, man, it, was, it was actually kind of difficult deciding which ones would be my extras and which ones would be my mains, but I think I'm going to go with the one that I'm most eager to talk about, and, and that's uh, Atomic Heart. I think Atomic Heart just, uh, there's something about the way this is presenting itself, the way that this game looks, because when we first saw Atomic Heart, a while back, at this point, I remember thinking that the art looked great. I remember thinking that the, the the general premise seemed really, really interesting, and I, the art style was really evocative. The presentation, mainly, was the main thing that was like kind of drawing me in. As we got closer to release, we didn't really hear much about anything. Or as we get, we get closer to the to the to the launch of this thing, we still haven't really heard much. But the the most recent trailer we got looked like it it just. It remedied a lot of the stiffness that I saw. Because that was my main concern. It's like, oh, this looks like it's going to be stiff. I don't know if it's going to play all that well. It looks like it plays really, really well. And it's got this, like, fantastic, like, Russian, weird, like, Fallout meets Bioshock kind of kind of air about it. I think uh, I think this has the potential to be something very, very special that remains to be seen, obviously. But my eyes are very, very closely on Atomic Heart because I'm a huge sucker for striking art design in anything that's the easiest way to get my attention is 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 and, and in fact i think most of the games on my on my list kind of present that as well but
1: yeah atomic heart easy um easy anticipation for me that one that one was on my list and um i totally YouTube? agree i think was it on yours too, Dustin? Mm-hmm. it was number two <laughs> number two yeah it was on it was on my list as well and it's a it's a wonderful looking game and The concept, I think, is most interesting. First of all, it's an FPS RPG. I just don't feel like we. I don't feel like people think of those things going naturally together as much as they do, because I think what FPS RPGs have become are open world role playing games. So um, you think about Mm -hmm. Fallout 4, for instance, and then you have the other style, which is kind of like Far Cry, which I actually think is an FPS RPG. It's just it's I just cracked like fucking. Bobby Brady, by the way, or no, Peter Brady was the one that had the cracked voice, but uh, but it's again an open world game. So I think this game, from what I can tell, seems to embrace its mechanics a lot more than those games do. And in that case, it reminds me of some of the great shooters, but it also reminds me a little bit of Bioshock, specifically because I don't know if you guys read about the, the plot, but the plot is awesome now. Kyle Moriarty loves his alternate history. He fucking loves his alternate history and especially he he loves his World War Two alternate history. You know, um, so in the game of Atomic Heart, The Soviets destroyed Nazi Germany in 1941. So what's interesting about that is 1941 is when Operation Barbarossa begins, which is in the the real world, the Nazi invasion of Soviet Union, overthrowing the Ribbentrop Molotov compact that would keep peace between the two sides. And that that was the most brutal conflict in the history of war of the world, the the Eastern Front in World War II, And in this history never happens. Um, And what what ends up happening is that the Soviets apparently discover robotics in this alternate history and all of these different things and use these robotics and these machines and their huge factories and all that to just destroy the Nazis when they're kind of in the crib still. And what's interesting is it reminds me of Bioshock because there is a thing in the game called the collective. And I don't know if you guys read about this at all, but it's this it's this Internet, basically. And there's all these different aspects to the tech that corrupt people and make them crazy. And it sounds like splicers. Yeah. And all of that in Bioshock. So there is definitely that angle to it, too, which is really interesting. And you play as a KGB agent. So the whole Russian angle is dope. And I was reading a little bit about Munfish, the developer, because I always understood Munchfish as being a Russian studio and they are. But they have been working out of Cyprus. Um, and so this is how this game is even being able to leave because there's obviously an embargo on Russia. So I'm interested to see how this game is responded to considering what I would identify as a kind of Russophile, or no, not, is it Russo hmm Not only with the Russian Ukraine thing, I understand everyone being upset about that and the Russians being the aggressors and the beggars. I totally get that. But just going back to the mid 2000s, teens that the Russians are doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this, they're doing that. I just wonder if that's going to put off people from playing this game or if they will see it for what I see it as, which is a really compelling piece of Soviet alternate history that I think is going to be really, really good. So I'm stoked about it, too. Uh, Dustin, you have anything to add?
4: Yeah. the, The trailer that I recommend people check out is from Gamescom. It's called the Atomic Heart Combat Trailer which yeah. I was already on board for this game for a while but this is the that trailer is what brought my I I can actually say I feel like I'm hyped for this game and I haven't been hyped I feel like uh, for a lot of stuff recently but something about this game if if there was some kind of uh like Kojima level uh secrecy going on and eventually you found out that atomic Heart was Bioshock 4 I could believe it this game looks like it could be a a sequel to a bioshock game between uh using plasmids whatever they're called in the game like to you know you're using your left hand for kind of like a more power based ability and your right hand for a gun uh everything about this game just oozes style and just so much potential really really excited it's not too far this one's uh, february right very february 21st Yeah, yeah hell yeah very
1: immediate Yep. It's got a date PS4 and PS5 being published by Focus Entertainment, who just brought us um, as the publishers of um, Playtale as well. So we have that one thing worth noting, although not very important, I don't think is uh, one of the investors in onefish is Tencent. Mm, so damn. there's that. But I don't know. Oh, well, got to make an exception every once in a while. I think more it's more about ringing the alarms than anything else, although they're a minority holder in this and. I'm really curious about this 1955 Soviet Union. It feels like the Russian fallout. Yeah. In some way. Yeah. It's the Same period. It seems to invoke that strange alternate history where it's, you know, tube televisions, but some sort of weird connectivity and Internet. And I don't know. It's gonna be fun. That's yeah, cool. I'm really excited about that. Great choice. All right. Dustin, let's go for you to you for your first one.
4: Wait, what about what about you? You should be up next, right?
1: Oh, I, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah, I, you, I, yeah I'm, I'm. I'm a dummy. You're absolutely right. Okay, what will I go to first? You know what? Let me flip my page over because I have two pages worth of notes here. I'm going to start with um, Mina the Hollower Mm. as my most anticipated game. Oh,
4: okay. This is a Yacht
1: Club game. It's supposed to come out in December of 2023. It was interesting. I was reading the Wikipedia and it claims it was not is not coming to PlayStation. It says it's only coming to PC and Linux or something. And I'm like, that's definitely not true. So then I went to the Kickstarter and I looked and there's literally pictures of the physical versions on PS4. So I was like "Hmm, something some why I got crossed here with some people reporting information. But nonetheless, this game is coming to PS4. It's slated for December 2023. I said earlier in the show, some games are on the bubble. This game feels like it might be one of those games. I don't know. For people that are unfamiliar with it, it was kickstarted for one point two million dollars. I actually meant to kickstart it because I'm actually kind of more into doing that now than I was in my younger years. But I just totally spaced and you can't go back and do it. So I'll just buy it when it comes out. But uh if Shovel Knight, which was obviously Yacht Club's first project, was an ode to NES games and you think of the 8-bit era, it's kind of like DuckTales, got a little bit of Zelda 2, Faxanadu, Castlevania, whatever. This game is an ode to Game Boy Color. And I, when I saw it immediately, I was smitten with it because Game Boy Color is 8-bit too, And we got some really awesome games on Game Boy Color that kind of took advantage of being a... Super Nintendo game, and I don't mean an SNES game. I mean like a a a kind of a kind of adapted NES style game. And I think specifically of Zelda Oracle of Ages and Zelda Oracle of Seasons, which were amazing. Capcom developed Zelda games that were released, I think, in 2000 on Game Boy Color right before before Game Boy Advance came out the next year. So Mina the Hollower goes back to that generation that was pretty short lived. And that generation gave us some other stuff, too, that still exists to this day, like Shantae and a few other series. But what's cool about it is that it's isometric. And if Shovel Knight was DuckTales plus Zelda 2 plus. A little bit of Faxanadu and Ninja Gaiden and shit like that, then I would say Mina the Hollower is Castlevania plus Zelda 1. And it's got that isometric pitch to the camera, the music, the the color palette and design, the. um. The sub weapons kind of invoke Castlevania. She's a Hollower, so they can go underground. They're like little mice and other creatures that go underground and then pop back up. So that's kind of the mechanic. And you do that during combat. And the story sounds really cool, too, because it takes place on a location called Tenebros Island. And Mina is a an inventor. And she has a patron that basically provides her with all the money so she can make her creations. And she's helped like electrify their island and bring technology and all the stuff. And I think it's about how stuff goes awry. Basically, game looks dope. Just absolutely, insanely good. And for those that have that old school spirit like I do, I feel like Mina the Hollower is an absolute godsend. And it runs, yes, at 60 frames a second in case you're curious. Oh, So, um, yeah, Kickstarter kick for one point two million dollars. Yacht Club, December 2023. It'll be on PS4 and other platforms as well. Think. Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons meets Castlevania. Yeah, that's Colin. That's Colin territory right there. Anyone else interested in this? Yeah, yeah. definitely.
4: (laughs) I feel like anything, if if Yacht Club has earned their reputation at this point, if they release a game or they do a new Shovel Knight thing or if they publish a game, it's at the very least worth uh, checking out because everything they've done so far has been really, really excellent. I don't know... What's interesting about this game is that I'm not super into Game Boy games like this, but it's not out of not liking them. It's just that's kind of wasn't what I was playing at that time. And so it's kind of exciting for... I don't know. It almost feels like I'm checking out a new thing playing this game, even though it's obviously a very uh, old uh, type of game. But... Like I said, yacht club, man. I'm I'm looking at the the story uh, the Kickstarter now and seeing the uh, some of the pixel art. It's uh, and Colin, as you say, it's a it's a lost art at this point. Not totally lost, but it's becoming less and less common to find truly excellent pixel art. And this game definitely has it.
1: It's it's gorgeous. I I just I did a I did a um. An appearance lately, recently on an Xbox podcast to talk about Lilymo, specifically, the developer I co-own, and we do two D games, pixel art games too. And, and I went real deep into our philosophy behind that. And these guys, Yacht Club, Way Forward, and Any Creates, I think, are the, tr- the the holy trinity of I can't even believe how good this looks, pixel art. And yeah, this is among and especially containing yourself to rule sets like mm-hmm. Game Boy Color style rule sets, palettes it's it's an artificial challenge it's pretty cool chris did you have anything you wanted to say
3: yeah i think uh i i'm looking at some gameplay now it it definitely is it definitely looks like a colin game but what i like this mechanic of burrowing underground it reminds me of like that was a mechanic that i really really liked in this in this ancient ps1 game it was uh it was Bugs Bunny lost in time. And you could burrow Ooh, under dang. the ground in that game. And I thought, like, this is such a cool idea. And then no one ever did that again. So it's kind of cool to see that really, that weird mechanic that just, like, scratched this, like, ancient itch in my brain. But I don't know. I'm definitely more of a... I feel like when I'm playing a pixel art game or, like, an old-style old, old style game like this, it's definitely... I'm more I'm more of a messenger, celeste... Um, Cyber Shadow kind of person than this. Um, I did play a lot of Game Boy games like this, but I can't say that I loved as many of them as I loved platformers on the Super Nintendo, but, but it does look really, really good. Pixel art is so difficult to... <laughs> I don't think people understand <laughs> how how much harder it is to get pixel art looking good than it is to make a 3D asset look good in Unreal Engine or Unity. And I say that as somebody who who's not a game designer, but I have pretty... I wouldn't say extensive experience with game engines, but enough experience to know that you can get things looking good really, really easy in a modern game engine. Like it's, it's a lot simpler than you than probably even most people think it is. So props to uh, everybody still doing pixel art because it's, uh, the difficulty of that is not lost
1: on me. Yeah, we're we're completely dedicated to it. That's all we want to do. By the way, I'm looking at this um footage for there's a long play of bugs bunny lost in time on ps1 <laughs> it's, I, it's, I didn't play this game it's, it's from, rough it's from 1999 i gotta say this game i don't know if it, it's, it is any good but it looks pretty good it's not PS one game it's 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 not bad to play but it's 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 a rough it's rough on the eyes
3: <laughs> i think i think bugs bunny i think the models look really good
2: personally. oh yeah they're,
3: they're, no they're really faithful it's just more that it's more that like oh that four foot draw distance you know that really really does it in but yeah no no textures just colors that's why that's why the model looks so good is because because the kid the world isn't loading fair enough
0: angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well
1: my happy boy let's go to you for your second game
4: my next game is a series that i've been pretty hot on because i've played through more maybe about half of them this past year replayed the original version of this game on march 24th it's going to be resident evil Four remake and damn this game looks good this game looks so fucking good and it's funny just because um I we I feel like we knew it was gonna look good, but it's always feels a little scary, especially when someone's going and remaking a game that people have loved for so long. But when we finally saw the gameplay of this game just a few weeks ago, uh, it just it blew me away, and it blew away it seemed well it blew away Chris as well we talked about it. Colin, you haven't seen it yet, and I think it's kind of cool if you can avoid it, just because I was very pleasantly surprised, specifically in that. I think that there probably is a lot of temptation when remaking something to take out things that maybe don't maybe come off as a little cheesy, especially in a Resident Evil game, maybe there's probably a temptation to try to modernize some stuff, but it's clear that they knew the spirit of Resident Evil 4 when making this game and knew what uh what direction to go in specifically whether it's um some like campy quips from from Leon or doing some roundhouse kicks, stuff like that. It's all there. And it it really does feel like the they're taking like all of that awesome Resident Evil 2 remake goodness, applying it to Resident Evil 4. And I'm just I think what I'm most interested in from just freshly playing Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil 4, is how they can expand this game and make it even better, because I think that there's a lot of potential opportunity for that. Specifically, the original Resident Evil 4 is a extremely linear experience, which I guess all Resident Evil games are somewhat linear, but there's very little backtracking in, in uh, Resident Evil 4, not a lot of puzzles. There's some in there, but it already has the template for these things and the different areas and locations you go. And so I would really love to see them expand and kind of uh, put more traditional Resident Evil into Resident Evil Four remake in order to make it kind of like this ultimate Resident Evil experience. So this one again, this is a game that I feel like there I have so much confidence in, really excited about it, and uh, just like Atomic Heart, not too far away.
1: Yeah, well said. This was in my long list as well. This is an obvious one. Resident Evil Four looks great. I'm out. I'm not gonna read or look at anything else for it. I mean, I don't know how much of a spoiler it would be since I'm intimately familiar with the original game on GameCube, but really excited to play it. And as I've said, and I know it's a it's a, a beaten horse, a thoroughly beaten horse, is I just find that game unplayable today. I just, the rules of game, of 3D movement have broken me. It's like going back to Metal Gear Solid 3 and how difficult that was for me. I, I did it, but I didn't want to. And it's it's nice that no longer is the Wii version of Resident Evil 4 the best one to play. It'll be this new version here as well, mm-hmm. Dustin. Do you have any? Or I'm sorry, Chris. Do you have anything you'd like to add before you go on to your next game?
3: Oh man, well, this is obviously on my list as well. Uh, I'm I'm so stoked about this thing. I I, I remember being very very worried uh, because it's very very easy to go back to a classic game like this and change things for the sake of changing things, and it, and it looks like it looks like what changes they're making are very purposeful and and even if they're I don't think we saw any evidence that they're necessarily modernizing it but even in the effect that they are later down the line and stuff that we haven't seen I have a lot more confidence in them that they're making the right choices because initially like I was just worried that like oh maybe maybe because Resident Evil 2 remake was so was so good maybe they'll try and make it a little bit more grounded they'll try and like tone down the absurdity of it and no <laughs> that's not what they're doing in fact they've added they've added absurdity to it <laughs> which is exactly, it's exactly the right attitude. I have so much faith in Capcom these days. Like, it's crazy. Because I remember back, not even, well, I guess it was long ago, but it doesn't feel that long ago when I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what the hell these guys are doing. And just this this amazing bounce back is, is uh just so cool. I'm so, 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 so excited for this. I love Resident Evil 4. I still think it's very playable. But no no doubt it could use some improvements, and this looks like a really, really phenomenal amount of improvements uh and i'm
1: just totally i'm sold i don't need to see any more of it you know yeah me neither i'm a i'm a believer and if if resident evil 2 remake to resident evil original if resident evil 3 remake to resident evil 3 original is any indication then we're going to be in pretty good shape in other words i don't think resident evil 3 remake was subpar it was actually a very good remake i just think it exposed resident evil 3 for not being as good as resident evil 2 i agree i think it was a very good remake of the game so we'll see it's exciting uh chris let's stay with you and go to your next game your second game
3: yeah so i think i'm going to go with uh wild hearts because this game this is very recent this is very this was not even on my radar all that long, and it is re- very, very recently. This camera Camo because it's it was recently kind of talked about a little bit more publicly. And this is a what, what is it? What is the publisher? I can't remember if it's uh, I know it's one of the bigger It's ones. like EA, EA is publishing, it's an EA published Monster Hunter competitor. And normally, that wouldn't sound all that exciting as somebody like for me who's who couldn't really get into Monster Hunter because the tutorialization of that, those opening hours is just so in, in, in intense and tedious and time consuming. Um, and also EA not necessarily having the most sterling reputation as of late or even historically, but you know the gameplay does everything, and what what I saw from this game just looks really appealing to me. I don't know what it is. I I've always wanted to get into Monster Hunter, but the way that these Monster Hunter games are designed, just there's something about the onboarding that really that really puts me off. I'm I'm a, I'm a pretty impatient person <laughs> when it comes to video games because it, like especially nowadays when video games will take. 20 to 40 hours of your time uh, you're gonna have to hook me sooner than that you know I'm not gonna spend three hours trying to like something when there's so many other experiences that I like immediately Um, Mm -hmm. you got to use my time judiciously and so you know Monster Hunter has always been something that I wanted to get to but like that 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 process of getting into it is so so long and this Looks different enough, but also it it looks like it's encapsulating the spirit of what Monster Hunter is, like the the scale, uh, this kind of almost Shadow of the Colossus style boss against size itself, and this this casual kind of experience. That like if if the onboarding for this game is 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 a little bit more streamlined and it's it's a little bit more uh, easy for a player like me, then I could see this game being a very very big deal for me. And just the presentation of it looks cool. I think it looks unique. I think there are certain mechanics in, that were displayed in, in some of the gameplay trailers that we've seen that I haven't seen out of Monster Hunter necessarily. Granted, not an expert. But I'm really looking forward to this. I, I feel pretty confident uh, that this is going to be something that's going to speak to me in a way that I've always wanted Monster Hunter to speak to me. So, Also, just Monster Hunter could use some competition, especially with how clearly
1: big it is. Do you, um, are you looking forward to it, Dustin, at all? Yeah. yeah. I know you're a Monster Hunter person, so.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm a pretty fresh Monster Hunter fan, being that I played through all of Rise, I didn't play through all the DLC, but uh, I definitely can feel what Chris is saying. The getting acquainted and learning this series is, is very difficult, and even I have, like, just scratched the surface, because each weapon has so many different mechanics and strategies and stuff like that that i i literally only know how to really play longsword longsword and that's it uh so uh, their biggest challenge will be potentially trying to get you know new people involved or something like that or well it's the it's the balance of like creating a game that new newcomers can be uh, get familiar with and be able to play but also satisfying traditional Monster Hunter fans at the same time since clearly they're going to try to want to hook some of them as well but I'm really curious and I think one of the most interesting aspects of this game is just the partnership of EA and Code yeah. Tecmo is such a interesting weird thing and I, I don't know I hope that it bears good fruit because getting more great games especially from Japan is something I'm always interested in
1: yeah, the business aspect of it is most interesting to me, no doubt. The The willingness of Koei Tecmo to lease out its studios is interesting and I think it keeps them alive and vibrant and they know where the money is. And I think this is a really um, functional, patient, and Japanese way of doing business. I, It's not all in. It's very risk-averse to have Omega Force make a shit ton of musos for Square Enix or whoever. And then now they're making a game with... EA, but they can still do their Dynasty Warrior stuff and publish that. It's the same thing with Team Ninja kind of being hawked off to do other things while making their own games too. It just seems like a very safe, sustainable thing. And that's why I think you don't hear much about the tumultuous ups and downs of Koei Tecmo. Not not that they are a major publisher, but they are close. I mean, they are certainly in the A tier of publishers. They make triple A games. They're just not in that that cap. Well, not even Capcom. They're not in that Ubisoft. Take two Ubisoft EA, the first parties. All that. And then I think you have a list underneath. That's kind of like Capcom Square Enix. Bethesda used to be in that group, others, and then you have a group of that below that, and that's where I think Koei Tecmo is anyway. It's time for me to go. I'm not going to forget this time. It's time for me to go this time <laughs> for my second game. And the second game I want to talk about is uh, a little game called Sea of Stars Oh, comes out next year. It is a prequel to the messenger which of course came out in 2018 it came to ps4 in 2019 that's where i played it and it's not like the messenger so people might remember the messenger as a 2d action platformer that kind of turns into a metroidvania very playable very good highly recommended this game this prequel it's not necessary to play one or the other you know you can play whatever you'd like and um, i think that there's There's an ability for people to experience the mythos, I guess, of this universe, having the taste of just one or the other. In other words, I guess is what I'm saying. So Sea of Stars is from Sabotage Studios and it's a turn based. And this is how they describe it because this was also kickstarted. So this is my second game. And this is also a kickstarted game. This was kickstarted for one point six million dollars. So about four hundred thousand dollars more than Mina the Hollower. And they describe it, quote. A turn-based RPG inspired by the classics, end quote. Now, that comes packing heavy expectations. It's difficult to say something like that. I think it's it's different than saying a game predicated on the classic FPS. And it's like, well, what does that really mean? There's a pretty quick split off. When we say classic role-playing games in our space, we don't mean Ultima or anything like that, although they're really important games, too. You're typically talking about Final Fantasy, Square Enix, like stuff from Squaresoft and Enix and a few other outliers as well. This game invokes Chrono Trigger. It's clear when you look at it. And when you look at the combat. As well, that's the game that it invokes. And I'm not a huge Chrono Trigger fan. I know I think people know that about me. I think it's a great game, but that it's listed as perhaps the best role playing game ever or the best game ever. I have never seen it like that, but I do think it's a really great game and one worth replicating. No doubt about it. And people will recall that in Chrono Trigger. And this is one of the things that they say here that they take a lot of pride in. No random battles, no random encounters. Instead, you run into the enemies on the screen, which is a thing that becomes common later in games like Tales and others. And you the, the game doesn't split off into another screen. At that point, the game becomes the combat zone, which is exactly like Chrono Trigger. So this is this is where the inspiration is drawn from. There are six playable characters in the game, which I feel like is a really containable group. I don't like when games and Final Fantasy six being one of my favorite games of all time does have an ensemble of like 16 playable characters or something. And I think that is just insane. Of course, it all leads somewhere with that. But having a more containable class where maybe you have a group of four or three in your party and therefore you have two parties of three. That seems more containable from a narrative perspective, from a leveling perspective, because I'm very OCD when I level my characters in role playing games. I like to level them up all evenly, even if I don't use those characters. So. You can imagine me playing games. And I mean, this tells you a lot about who I am. The one thing that I am interested in, they say this in their Kickstarter is there is no level grinding. And I want to see how they deal with this. And that doesn't sound appealing to me, actually. I like grinding levels. I like knowing that you can overcome things by just becoming statistically stronger. But uh, I'm excited about this game, Sea of Stars. I think this game looks dope. And it's time for us to get Sabotage's new title. They've been working on it for a long time i was also reading a little bit about their studio that they have a open schedule concept like you base it's pretty similar to our company although they they do they have many more deadlines i think but that you just have your tasks and it's like you just to deliver this by this point i don't really care what you do between now and then as long as you get it done i think that Things happen, good things happen in creative spaces like that. So I think Sea of Stars will benefit from that non-tumultuous development period as well that I think obviously was given a very fo- solid foundation with a $1.6 million draw on Kickstarter, plus all the games they're going to sell to the tune of many more millions of dollars. So they're in good shape. Sea of Stars, Dustin, specifically for you, Um, is this yeah. a game that interests you?
4: Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to say just because we only see pre-release stuff, but we're talking about beautiful pixel art. This might be one of the most beautiful pixel art games I have ever seen just from these pre-release screenshots. The way that they're able to mix uh, lighting in, in, particularly if you look at some of the screenshots in in darker segments or even in some of the trailers, just absolutely incredible stuff. And I think what's interesting, too, is just the fact that they have the composer from Chrono Trigger. Uh, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 working on the project as well. And so you obviously know at that point, I mean, the music it will be fantastic, which is just an essential part of any RPG game. So I'm really excited about this one uh, as well. I'm I'm wondering just because, let's see, it's just the, a 2023 release, so we don't know exactly what window, right?
1: Um, Right. It says on my, I'm looking at my notes here, the window. Yeah, it's just 2023. So okay. um, and it, and they just say console and PC. So it is worth noting. I think I have notes here on that. Yeah, that they have not granularly ca- clarified. I think what platforms they're coming to. And it's worth noting that Sabotage did make Messenger a timed Switch exclusive at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to do the same thing here. I doubt that they will because I don't think there's anything to gain by doing that anymore. I think that the 2018 environment that, sw- that it came out to on Switch is far different than the environment now, where I think a more ubiquitous release, I wouldn't even be surprised to see this thing pop up on Game Pass, yeah, uh, something like that as well. So yeah, I'm I'm stoked about this. Uh, I can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Oh yeah, yeah. Anything for you to ask, Chris? I I, I didn't I, I didn't ask you about it because it's certainly not your style of game. I,
3: I mean, it it is and it isn't. It's obviously from the Messenger guys, and I love these. I I love the like what they do specifically art wise. I, I think this game looks gorgeous. Um, By the way, their initial trailer was holiday 2022. So if it is, if it did get pushed into 2023,
1: it's probably could potentially be more imminent than we think it is. Um, Yeah, it was it was announced towards the beginning of COVID, I think. So they were working on it before that. But I think that the Kickstarter launched, as as I recall, like during that uncertain period where people were making promises they couldn't keep.
3: But the announcement trailer is December 15th, 2021.
1: So... Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong there. Then I thought well, that I thought I thought I had in my notes here that it, that the um, Kickstarter came out well, in 2020. But y- I, no, I could you're be wrong about that.
3: you're definitely right about probably the Kickstarter, but like the official Nintendo of America, you know, like the actual, oh, I like, see, you know, that announcement trailer. But I, I think it looks, I think it looks. This is one of those rare exceptions uh, where <laughs> I feel like the gameplay is not necessarily what I would consider my type of game, but I I, I am. I'm really captivated by this art like this. This looks so
1: this looks incredibly gorgeous to today. Me. Uh, I mean, the, well, they have this thing. I don't know exactly how it works just by looking at it. I'm not entirely sure that I understand. Like it is 2D pixel art, but they have some sort of like there's some sort. This is what we were talking about earlier, actually, because you were bringing up with 3D modeling versus 2D where. The reason that 3D modeling is, quote unquote, easier, or at least easier to get something like recognizable and good is because there's so much there's so many tools and computer assisted stuff and middleware and everything to make your stuff good. And pixel art, people don't realize when there's a flicker on a candle, those are all pixels that have to be replaced in light or whatever. And they're there's They seem to be pimping some sort of tool set that allows them to have this crazy lighting. Yeah. And so it seems like it's becoming a more not that it doesn't. It only exists in this this is the only example of it, but it's a more sophisticated 2D style game and it is beautiful. Yeah. Totally beautiful.
0: If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same Jersey as you to be your best. Every time you step on the field, that's why there's no vape in team. When you vape,
1: Alright, let's move on here. It's your turn, Dustin.
2: Yeah, I'm
4: changing it up because I feel like some of the other stuff I have, I've been pretty predictable so far, so I want to put some shine on something some people may have forgotten about, that is Stellar Blade, which we found out is a PlayStation 5 uh, console exclusive now. Uh, this game used to be known as Project Eve before the most, uh, I want to say, let's see, the September state of play. We found out it was called Stellar Blade. And I think this game looks awesome. Particularly, I feel like I've more recently gotten a, a strong fondness for the character action game, specifically Devil May Cry, kind of uh, the the newest one, really kind of lit that in me. And so this game, it it feels in a lot of ways like a game from another era. This feels like Bayonetta type, uh, like a Bayonetta type of game. And I mean, obviously it has a a very uh, curvy woman in it, which might have something to do with that. But overall, this game just comes off um, really strong. And what's interesting is that this developer is relatively unknown shift up corporation i was trying to google them a little bit and they're known for doing like a a korean mobile game which is a bit concerning but just going off what we've actually seen what they've presented before us this game has a ton of style and clearly sony sees something in it as well as they are now doing some uh, publishing stuff on it so stellar blade i'm very very intrigued will you feel like a pervert when you play it maybe but that's okay. God, sometimes, I hope so. sometimes that's <laughs> fine. You know, just keep in check. Keep in check.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm looking at the trailer for it now, and I, I actually kind of even forgotten about this game. It it is very Bayonetta, no yeah. doubt about it. And it, but I think there's multiple angles to this that are interesting. Shift Up is South Korean, like you said, and I think that this is a market that is going to be increasingly penetrated by console manufacturers oh. as games a mm. as games come out of Seoul that are renowned and, and just sucking up all the oxygen in the room and South Korea is an important um current influential market and I think having a South Korean big South Korean game will probably be a big selling point in South Korea so why not just launch it everywhere <laughs> and, that, and that's obviously exactly what they're going to do as, as naturally but I think that's kind of what's behind it in some way. Project Eve. Good choice. Stellar Blade. Forgot about that one. And yes, you will feel like a pervert when you're playing it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, good. Chris, what's next for you, my friend? Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like I've been throwing
3: throwing kind of uh, curveballs a little bit this whole time. So I'm actually going to go a little bit more predictable because why not? Uh, Dead Space. Dead Space. Mm. Dead Space remake. I, I, Dead Space is such a special game to me because it's the first... Dead Space is, is from what I can recall, the first horror game that I actually completed front to back. When I finally like got the stones to just be like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play through all of Dead Space, even though it freaks me out a little bit, and I'm gonna get to the end and I'm gonna see it through. And I'm so glad I did because it's, I, I think for a long time, Dead Space and Resident Evil Four were up there for me as like two, the two best survival horror games, and I think Dead Space easily outclasses, as far as, like, pure survival horror goes, definitely way better than Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 4 is a really fun action romp, but it's gonna be so interesting to see Dead Space and Resident Evil 4 Remake kind of come out around the same time as each other and actually be compared on a more equal playing field than they otherwise would have been, because obviously, uh, otherwise, those games are an entire generation apart, um, at least they're in their base forms. So... You know, I, I'm just I know what to expect from Dead Space Remake already. It's not necessarily that I was like, ooh, I wonder what kind of cool tricks they're gonna they're going to um, they're going to pull out of their ass with this one. I just I love Dead Space. for everything from the the UI design being like diegetic to the world and like your health being displayed on your on your spine and and your ammo counter being a hologram and the, and the ability to, like, switch the direction of your gun and, and, and dismemberment being, like, a huge part of it. And even just the little cheeky things the game does with, like, the, the first letter of every, of every mission being this code. It was, like, a lot of fun. That's right. Forgot the, it's forgot about that. It's such, a, it, it's such a great experience. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this game is going to play and look like on, on modern hardware. Although I imagine, to be honest with you, I, I imagine it's not going to feel all that different because the original Dead Space holds up pretty well, visually speaking. Obviously, resolution is a lot lower and, and you know, frame rate and all that. But the art design of the game is already tip-top, so to imagine what they can do if, if they just kind of translate that old art design into modern lighting, high frame rates, higher resolutions, you know, fewer loading screens or more seamless transitions between them. I think... Um, I think this is going to be a really special thing if they can nail it. And from from the few things that I've seen already, I'm I'm pretty convinced that it's going to be I'm pretty sure that's going to deliver something really cool, especially if people haven't played Dead Space before. It's an easily um, something I'm I'm really excited to see the reaction to it from people who I know for for certain have not experienced the original Dead Space because it's, it's a really special special game and
1: I'm looking forward to re-experiencing it. Great choice. I, I totally agree. I would agree that Dead Space is the strongest survival horror game ever made. And, and and that I love Resident Evil 4, too. And I think that there are a few others as well. And there are certainly games I've not played. Yeah, but Dead Space is a masterclass. And when I went back to play it on knockback in 2020 for the first time since it came out, I was like, Jesus. And I know Dagan was just having gone through it for the first time was blown away by it. I I. With 3D audio, haptics, no loads. All the, I mean, I can't imagine what the issue more is going to be like. I, I, I'm really, really excited for this as well. This and Resident Evil Four remake back to back is a dream. Plus, Crystal Protocol as a, yeah. a palate cleanser before it all even begins. We're gonna, I, if, I think we're gonna be really in good shape as survival horror fans between. Well, we're recording this in November, but between now when we're recording this and March, I think we will have experienced three pretty good games. Yeah. At that point, so nice, nice choice, Dustin. Let's go to you for your next game. If you have nothing to add about Dead space and you're more than welcome to as well. No, I'm I'm trying to remember the order, though. I'm would you be next again? One, two, three, one, two, three. Oh, I'm, st- I'm Why am I so stupid? No, <laughs> I don't want to go.
4: <laughs> you're focusing on, um, you know, the the conversation. It's not it's no big. Yeah. End.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I am trying to be the moderator. I guess I'm, I forget that I'm supposed to go as well. All right. Well, I will select next Final Fantasy seven rebirth now. Yeah. I don't know if this game will make 2023. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it won't. I think I'm being a little fast and loose with this. It's just marked as winter, so you can see it being. February 2024, maybe something like that, but I want to keep open the possibility of a 2023 release, though. It is a much bigger game than uh, than Crisis Core. Crisis Core is coming out like a week before Christmas. So who the hell knows what they would do with this game? And when they would want to release it, Final Fantasy 16, of course, coming out in the summer, you might not want to just have all this Final Fantasy out there one after the other. But I don't know. I think you do, because Final Fantasy is really strong right now. Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, as we know, is coming to PS5. And we now know that the remake trilogy of Final Fantasy 7 from 1997, the remakes beginning in 2020. This is a trilogy. So we're getting the middle game with Rebirth, and we don't know what the nature is of the third game yet. And I was watching, I went back in, in research and, and reading about the game and what we know about it, which is not very much. But there is just this really great quote in the beginning. It's Aerith. She says um, what we've done that's set in stone, the past is forever. But the future, even if it has been written, can be changed and quote. And this idea and they, they write it on the screen of what is fact and what is fiction. I love that Final Fantasy seven remake seems to be playing along, uh, around with clearly timelines, but specifically the nexus of when the changes occur and the, the representation of the changes by the, those ghastly whisper creatures and how we're seeing familiar events unfold in unfamiliar ways with unfamiliar characters, which is why I think Crisis Core has become newly important and while it's obviously a way for them to get a great PSP game off of that console or off that handheld and get it out to everyone years after it came out, it's also a way to introduce everyone to Zack and the story going back to um, a point that will become more relevant than it seemed in the original Final Fantasy seven arc. So what's cool about Final Fantasy seven remake, I guess, is what I'm saying is, is that it really leaves the original Final Fantasy seven alone. In some way, it's pretty brilliant because it basically says that happened. But this also happened and it's kind of a matrix ish multi-dimensional situation. So seeing cloud and Sephiroth walking together in the footage and going to what seems like the Northern crater and all that. And also the intermission stuff, which I have not played and I will play final fantasy seven remake on PS five probably right before the new one comes out, play through all of it again, the intermission just to catch up. And so that introduces um, Yuffie and all the rest. But I just feel like at the end of the day, Final Fantasy seven deals with a very prescient, what I feel like is a prescient topic, the death of the earth. And I just feel like we're in a time like that, not so urgently and not even melodramatically, but. You have global warming and climate change. You have the threat of nuclear war and the uncertainty of mega corporations doing whatever they want, and just a lot of power structures—your Shinra-like power structures and your soldier-like. Um, remember, soldier is 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 like a military unit of a private corporation. They're like PMCs. You can and that kind of stuff is happening around the world with private militaries and and for hire contractors and all of that. And I just feel like Final Fantasy VII has something to say. And um, I'm excited. I just, I'm just i looking forward to Rebirth. I just feel like Final Fantasy 7 Remake made me a believer. Totally. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. And and it it delivered. So that's got to be the next selection for me. Loath as I was to go at all, apparently. That <laughs> yeah. would be my third selection is Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth.
4: Colin, I feel like what I'm most excited for for this game is it being at least right. It's a it's going to be a fully current gen only game right like i don't think they've said anything about
1: no PS4. yeah it's, it's ps5 only yeah. so
4: i really my biggest well, not my biggest hope but one of my biggest hopes is that they're able to re- i want to coin a new term here because it's fresh on the mind as we're recording this in uh, november the kratos squeeze and that's when you constantly have to squeeze through small c- Sections or crawl through something in order for the next section of the game to load. And Final Fantasy 7 Remake is full of those as well. And I was just—I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there's some developers saying like, "Oh, well, that's kind of supposed to be like a a funnel point in order to let you know you're going towards the right direction." Bullshit. Like sometimes maybe, but um, in particular in in God of War right now, that's that is hundred percent not always the case. And I think that. Uh, with Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, or Rebirth, I'm excited to see. Like, okay, I guess that'll be the second Final Fantasy game that's a full, full current gen only, and so just being able to have another game like that that's fully taking advantage and hopefully getting rid of the Kratos squeeze will be
1: uh, very desirable. I saw some people beating up on our man Gene Park about this, as I recall on Twitter. Mm. Right. he was the one that brought up that that this is why it exists. And then people came in and said that that's not necessarily the reason why it exists. And I'm with you necessarily. Right. I'm like, I don't. Come on, guys. I know that's why people are thrown up to ladders. That's why you squeeze through it. It's to give things time to buffer and load. And if that's what you need to do to draw delineation between spaces, then I think you need to design things differently, because that's not the only cue that a player would take to move towards something. You can do that with color. You can do that with light and all the rest. So I, I didn't like that because it just seemed too. Sm- it's like too smart by half. Like, just shut up. Yeah. You damn well know that that is the general reason why people are lifting things up. Yeah. And letting them squeeze through and all that it could create a delineation that could be a secondary or tertiary positive. No, I didn't like that. Leave mm. my man Gene Park alone. Or I'm going to come at you. You understand? <laughs> All right. Is it, it's not my turn again now. It's Chris's no. turn. No, it's my turn. Dustin, it's Dustin's turn. Dustin, yes. it's your turn.
4: My turn. Okay, I'm going to go Dustin, with, it is your turn. Yes, I am ready. Diablo <laughs> 4. I'm very excited oh, for this game. I was thinking, right? okay, because part of this list, part I want to put games that I feel somewhat confident in and this one i'm the most shaky about but i watched a a developer commentary gameplay video today i'm like i this looks good this looks really good actually and i you know we've talked about blizzard not being the company they used to be continually fucking up over and over and I realized, I think that this game got announced like over two years ago when we first saw like gameplay from it. Like it's been a while, two or three years ago. Yeah. And so uh, from the trailer or the, the commentary thing I watched today, I'm like, man, this has a lot of promising aspects. And I think that they are definitely running some risks with uh, the way that some of the format changes they're doing, I think could annoy current Diablo fans. They're adding definitely a lot of, live servicey elements to it they were talking about like in destiny there's like live event you know uh, or a public community type of event where you're walking around an open world big monster shows up you all have to fight together that's going to be in diablo now it's definitely gonna have a more open world type nature to it and honestly i think that that sounds really cool with games like this it's like do you really just want a game like diablo uh, to stay the same? Do you want to put 300 hours into a game that's just more of the same of the last three? I don't. And so I'm. I think it's worth, in my mind, to take the risk. Maybe it's not a wor- good, worthy risk financially for if you're a stockholder. But adding these elements into Diablo, if they're done right, I think could be really excellent. And I also have to say too is that while I enjoy the the art style of Diablo three, this one definitely is taking a more grounded or it looks much darker. It kind of reminds me more of the look of the older games. And I think that that's cool as well. So Diablo 4, that's definitely a game I'm excited about. I think it's cool. They're going to have cross play in it from day one, which is great. So play wherever you want, play with your friends. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really hoping it's a game that I can get lost in like I did with Diablo 3.
1: How are you feeling about that choice, Chris? I mean, I'm not a Diablo guy, so I have nothing to say about this at all. I do know that rumors from our friends over at Windows Central as of the time we're recording this, so this might have already been clarified. It says this game might come out as soon as March or April, which is uh sudden, but it is been it is in closed alpha, like you said.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, like I'm I like Diablo, but I I have never loved it. I I enjoyed when Diablo three came to console, I did a lot of you know well not split screen, but couch co op with uh with the boys. And it was cool. It was it was great, it was a nice experience, but and I do like the look of the older Diablos. I really, I really like that. I know a lot of people are like, "Ah, oh, those don't look good," but like, there's something about them that's—I don't know. I, I, I guess "charming" is probably the right word. But I just, I just genuinely like that old style. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about this one, but I'm, I'm definitely gonna wait to see. You know, I'm definitely gonna. This is de- This is not a day one purchase by any means.
1: Blizzard certainly doesn't seem to have the the reputation it once did anymore. No. So, all right, Chris, let's stick with you. I am confident that it is your turn now.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Process of elimination and all that.
3: (laughs) I think, uh, I think, (laughs) I'm going to pick, man, I've I've still got so many, but I think now that we're narrowing down towards the end, I want to give a shout out to this bomb rush Cyberpunk game. That now they they say they're not coming to they, all this confirmed right now is Switch and PC, but given the the history of of the people working on it, I'm pretty, I'm fairly confident it's coming to PlayStation. It looks it so this is a Jet Set Radio style kind of skate game. It's very very old school in the way that it looks. It it reminds me a lot of PS2, but like the the art style specifically. Again, this is this is how you get me. If if you have a game that looks visually just unlike anything that I that I can get currently, then I'm th- more than likely I'm going to check it out and I'm probably going to like it. Even if, you know, <laughs> I I I will sometimes like a ge- even if it's like man, this game doesn't play well, but god, it looks good. And there's so many of those games. Even Scorn, you know, it's like one of those like Scorn got me, got me in the door because it just looks gorgeous and this is another one where I just love the way this looks, it evokes so much of a it evokes this PS2 era. It reminds me a lot of Roller also that came out, I think, earlier this year. Just these these spins and twists on on these these specific types of sports with this art style, with this music infusion. Um, it's a style of game that I'm kind of sad. A little bit of Sunset Overdrive as well. A little bit. I, I it's a style of game that I wish we got more of. I'm actually shocked that we haven't gotten as many of of, of these as as we. Probably should, but you know this this has my attention. Uh, it's slated for twenty twenty three. Obviously, uh, that could change, and and maybe the PS four version doesn't show up until maybe later, but it still launches then. I, I think, I think this is going to be something really cool. It's been delayed an, a, a couple of times, but I I do have a feeling that whatever comes out at the end of this is, is going to be something, at the very least, very memorable in the same way that Roller uh is. Uh, I, I really I don't speak a lot about roller drum, but I I, I, I really like roller drum um, and, you know, just more of these. I love this. Inject the shit into my veins. I miss this. These weird very dream styles. Cast, no doubt. Yeah. Very, very. Even the,
1: even the uh, the logo is is looks like Jet Set Radio's logo to me. Totally. Yeah, that looks great. It, it's It looks really, really cool. Colorful. I never heard of it. I just went and looked it yeah. up. I'm on the mm-hmm. Steam page now just reading about it. Oh, so, baby. good choice. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Is the name of the game. Yeah. All right. Back to me now, as I'm as I've been told. All right. Let me look at my choices here. What do I have left? Oh, but oh don't Yeah, I think. OK, so let's let's go to Hogwarts Legacy. This is a totally safe bet for me. Comes out February 10th. So it has a date. PS4 and PS5. Avalanche Software. The Utah based studio owned by WB that has done many a licensed game in the past. Now, I'm a I'm beating a dead horse once more with this game because I know people know how I feel about it. But just to reiterate, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Mm. Uh, I've wanted to for years get into Harry Potter and read it. I read the first three books when I was in high school and going into college. I, so I think Prisoner of Azkaban was the third one. And I think that was the last one that I read. And then I just stopped. I don't really re- even remember very much about it, but I liked it. I just moved on to other things and I've always been very attracted to this, this. um To this to this universe. And what I like about this game, as I've noted in the past, is that it takes place in the 1890s. So it is a, a deep prequel to Harry Potter, 100 years or so before the books in this pre-Edwardian, late Victorian British era that I find really attractive. And the exploration and the mystery and kind of the more plodding nature of it with uh, the territory that you're exploring and and the finite nature of it, almost a Metroidvania style backtracking seems like involved in it is is fun and really appealing to me. It seems like it's going to be some sort of tranquil and peaceful game that has decent combat, fun mechanics and all the rest. So I have to give a shout out to Hogwarts legacy. And I just feel like it could be an entryway into, for me to, to finally take that bite and pick the books back up and try again, especially because I could be, I could be reading more books and being in front of screens less. So got to give a shout out to Hogwarts legacy from Avalanche February 10th. So not too far away now. And uh, yeah, that will be my second-to-last selection.
4: Yeah, nice. I'm. I'm okay. looking. I just watched they do. Or they've been doing like some some streams showing off some different stuff from this game, and uh, it's very impressive the level of of detail that they're they're putting into it. This is one I, I think I said this many many months ago. At this point, that I'm I'm just a little concerned about the team. But as with Diablo and the other games, is that what they've shown looks good, and so. You know, I I want to give them that. So I am I'm, I'm interested in this game. This maybe isn't a day one for me, but I mean, if it reviews really well, then I probably will be there day one. But I love uh, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Not not like a, a one of the crazy Harry Potter fans, but I do do enjoy
3: it quite a bit. So I'm I'm interested. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help
2: get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would
3: you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may
1: apply. Bank of America NA, a
3: member FDSE. All
1: right, what's your last selection?
3: My last
4: selection is let's go with... Aiyudin Chronicles 100 Heroes. This is from the creator of of Suikoden. And it's just really exciting because in a lot of ways, when this game was kickstarted, it feels like this is a game they really wanted to make and they really wanted to make a new Suikoden game. But of course, unfortunately, Suikoden is uh, owned by Konami, which right now just kind of... <laughs> I wonder if Konami's kicking themselves about this at this point because... Obviously, we have Suikoden One and Two, uh, the the remasters coming out, and I'm surely that was birthed out of the fact that this game is so successful in its in before launch the, in its Kickstarter support and stuff like that. But I uh, this game looks great. It looks exactly like what we would want a new Suikoden game to be, just because. So we get in after two, kind of took a more 3D style, some of those games. I haven't played those, but I know that they're a bit more mixed. And so to see them take on this somewhat Octopath Traveler type look, but not quite exactly. But, you know, 3D environments with really nice sprites and stuff like that looks really great. And I think that the thing for me overall with this game, like I was saying earlier, is it just feels like a really good, like feel good story. The game that they wanted to make, they probably weren't able to make with Konami, but the fans were there, showed up, and had their support ready to go, and so it just feels like a, a homecoming for, for Suikoden, and so I hope it, it can live up to the uh, astronomically high expectations.
1: Yeah, dude, I mean, it it's it pulled in 46,000 plus backers with no fewer than 4,000 yen, so that used to be $40. It's it's less than that now, but so it's a high buy-in and yeah, that was on my list. That was one of the games I was, I was thinking about selecting for my last game too. I think the game looks cool, can be promising. And there's another example of a spinoff coming from a, a a series, a developer or a series of developers that can't accomplish what they want to do under the wings of the companies that they come from with the IP that they helped um, and deliberately created on behalf of these entities. And it's why it's important when you can to just do things for yourself. Because, And that's what they're doing here. And they're just there is a look and feel argument that was kind of squashed between Apple and Microsoft in the 80s over Windows and Mac OS. So you're not going to be able to go after anyone for copying your game, really. But it's clear that you can invoke very serious uh, like EGA I- went even further than anyone with with blood stain which is just. So, though, especially the NES style ones are just so blatantly Castlevania that I, if I were there, I'd be like, this is borderline insanity that they actually did this and we can't really do anything about it. I even Chronicle might turn out to be the same thing, although I think Konami realized there's a future for all of these IP. I think they're just being much more deliberate and they realize that no matter what, people are going to flock to Suikoden when it comes back. They don't need to do this necessarily. Now, it might not be very good, but that's another thing entirely. So a nice selection. All right. Chris, what is your final selection?
3: Oh boy, let's see. Let's see. You know what? I'm a creature of habit. Uh, Destiny 2: Lightfall. Mm. <laughs> I really, I, man, what do I? Where do I even begin about this? So, Destiny, obviously, live service game, big game. This isn't. This is just a big expansion coming out for uh, for this title. I think in either February. I think February. I'm not super sure exactly when, but it comes out early next year. And the stuff that they're adding to this game with this update really has the potential to really shake the foundations of what this, of what this game even means. Like there's, they're adding grappling hooks, which is easily like, okay, yes, you have my attention now. Grappling hooks are amazing. <laughs> they're the single most fun mechanic that have, that's ever been invented in anything. And so that's immediately in my sense. But then they have this. So obviously Destiny's this this uh, kind of RPG, PvP, PvE kind of, you know, you've got raids, you've got PvP, you've got all these different modes. And because different weapons service different modes and and, and different activities service different armor sets, like just navigating the menus has always been kind of the bane of a lot of players' existence. And they've added this preset loadout system, apparently, with this update. That allows you to kind of set armor and weapons aside for like this is a raid set, and you can just select it, and it'll equip all that automatically. You don't have to go in and 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 select everything by hand again. This is my PVP loadout. This is my competitive loadout. This is my you know my casual. Um, maybe I'm just roaming around doing nothing, kind of hanging out with people. Loadout, and and I that that in addition with in-game LFG which has been a huge asking point from destiny for a very, very long time opens up some of the higher end activities to a lot more people who have not yet. There's a lot of people who play destiny who have not played a single raid. I can't believe that because it's, it is the best part of that game without a doubt. I understand not being able to do it every week because that's insane. Getting, (laughs) getting five other people, especially as an adult with that amount of time to set aside. But you got to do it at least once man because it it is it is genuinely especially that OG Vault of Glass which which is in Destiny 2 again it's just some of the most rewarding shit in video games it it really is up there top 5 kind of overall video game experiences finishing a raid in Destiny is so so satisfying and just all these systems just seem to make it and and just with with the traversal system with this grappling hook being added into like now every single Multiplayer map that changes the flow of everything that that has the potential to make old maps new again with like new routes and new strategies. And I'm I'm really excited for this because I really do feel like it's going to be a, a massive refresh in a very smart way. It's not like, oh, we're going to take content out of the game and like or we're going to add a new like multiplayer map or something. It's like, no, let's add something into the, the base foundation of the game that transforms everything that's already there. To the point where it no longer feels like the same thing, but it still feels appropriate in the world. And I think, I don't know, I, I have a lot of faith in Bungie lately, even though, as of right now, Destiny is kind of in a weird spot. The new season's kind of like, eh. Uh, but at the same time, that's always usually the case before the big... before before The the season before the expansion is always kind of generally, historically the weakest, because I, I, I assume a lot of the manpower is going into making this this uh, expansion as good as it can be and you know I, so i've, I've softened on destiny lately i've, I've put in less time into it i've obviously there's a lot of other things to play there's god of war plague tale that i just finished recently and plenty of other things in the coming weeks as well but i am itching to get back into destiny and and this looks like uh this looks like it's gonna be cool also again art style just like a lot of this, uh, like pretty much everything that I'm really, really excited about is something that is visually striking in some way. And that new strand subclass looks dope.
1: And uh, that's it. Yeah, I was just looking up the release date. It's February 28th. Yeah. Um, Busy so month. So pretty soon. Coming pretty quick. Right after our live show in Texas. So you get to come home and Ooh. settle on in. <laughs> All right. My final selection is a bit of a surprise, but I had this written on my long list and I'm going to go with it, which is Avatar Frontiers of Pandora.
3: hmm.
1: This is a Ubisoft published game from Massive. Now, Massive is a Ubisoft studio, one of the rare Ubisoft studios that has a name like Red Storm and not just Ubisoft fart name, you know, in some random city, uh, which is boring. And I can't believe you just don't name your studio. Something give them a little bit of vim and vigor. You know what I mean? But Avatar Frontiers of Pandora is about a franchise that I don't care about. Never seen never seen Avatar. And this is kind of the. I guess Hogwarts legacy thing. Although not as severe. This makes me somewhat interested in Avatar. And I know that the second movie of whatever. 17 movies they're making now. Comes out around the time this publishes actually. So that will be pretty interesting. And maybe that movie will be, end up being good. It's been expensive and in development for a really long time. But I like Massive. A lot. And I feel like. They came on the scene pretty hardcore with the division. I think in 2016, and I love the division and the division two in 2019. I thought it was also excellent. And um, I think that something serious has to be happening for them to walk away from the division. Not that it's really up to them, but for a studio like Redstorm to kind of move in and say we'll take we'll take the division from here. They're obviously going to continue to support division two at at massive in some way, but. To say, like, we're going to kind of veer in this other direction now and take care of this license game, I think is an interesting movement of assets and indicates that the game is probably going to be pretty damn good. Now, according to Ubisoft's financials, it may slip into 2024 because it's a fiscal year thing. But I feel like this game has to kind of come out soon because of the movies starting to roll out. And I know that they're supposed to be in tandem with each other. And in fact, I think the game was supposed to be out already, as we might recall, it was supposed to come out this past summer. But. Sight unseen, running on Snowdrop, a proprietary engine. Who knows what's going to happen? But I just love Massive. I just think they're awesome. So if they if they can do with if they can make another awesome game, I'm not saying they're going to make a fucking shooter like the Division. It's Clearly not that. But I believe in them. So this, this is my final kind of wild card selection is Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which again might not even make it. But it is, by the way, a current gen only game, too. So PlayStation 5, we don't have to worry about it running on PS4, which is excellent. So that's my selection. I don't know if either of you guys care about it.
4: I'm surprised there's no gameplay out for this at yeah. all.
1: Like, no, there isn't.
4: There's only one trailer from a year ago, so it, it sounds like it's probably time for them to start talking about this game. Maybe by the time the listeners are hearing this, there was something at the Game Awards or, or something like that, but...
1: Um, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing about this, is that it there is an indication that this is one of those kind of PlayStation, like Hogwarts Legacy, like it's going to be a game that PlayStation promotes itself and markets itself, and I feel like it's probably going to be at a state of play. I would assume. Mm. And maybe it was supposed to already be, in fact, at a state of play. Who knows? Sure. So that's what I think is going on. I'm sorry, Chris, I interrupted you.
3: Oh, no, I, I, I just, uh, it, it. I was going to say the exact same thing where I was going to, it's strange that there is no gameplay because I was actually, when I was looking through games to put on this list, I was like, oh, Rise of the Ronin looks cool. Like I, That was one that like really stuck out to me. and I was like, oh, it's that's 2024, but it felt closer because I feel like we... I feel like the gameplay that they showcase felt a lot more complete and a lot more close to being like out than something that would otherwise be that far away. Like I would, I would expect more of something like a, like a cinematic teaser of some kind. And for Avatar, since we haven't seen gameplay yet, that has been just like I I forgot that that game was even coming out next year. I thought that was still a couple years away or like maybe two. But I don't know Avatar. It's it's. It's an IP, you know, I I think, I think the game, I think it has a lot more, I think there's a lot more to work with in a game, to be honest, uh, than there is in a movie, but
1: I don't know. I, it's not on my radar necessarily. Well, we'll see what goes on. That's my wild card. All right, here are the selections once more for people. Dustin selected Final Fantasy 16, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Stellar Blade, aka Project Eve, Diablo 4. And Iuden Chronicle 100 Heroes. Chris selected Atomic Heart, Wild Hearts. He loves hearts. Dead Space Remake, Bomb Rush, Cyberfunk and Destiny 2 Lightfall. And then I selected Mina the Hollower, Sea of Stars, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. Hogwarts Legacy and Avatar Frontiers of Pandora sounds like a pretty good year. Next yeah. year. Oh, Plus yeah, all the things that will happen interstitially, of course, we don't know. By the way, you know what game is not on any of our lists, I just realized. A huge game, Spider-Man. Does that, do any of you know Spider-Man? Can you think of it? Hmm. Spider-Man Two. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's obvious. That's
4: how I felt <laughs> yeah. about it too. I thought one of you two would pick it. Yeah, I just. We uh, don't know a lot either about it, so it's no, hard. We to, don't. Yeah, we
1: don't. We don't. And it's funny that there is no. This is <laughs> there are no first or second party games on this list. Well, there's That's only, just a sign like, of the times.
3: <laughs> well, what's, what's, what are the first party? We have a Horizon Call of the
1: Mountain. Yeah. I just pre-ordered that today as of the time we're recording.
3: Yeah, me too. Wait, what did you get like an email for for it?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I signed up email. for it and then I got the email. I yeah.
3: signed up for it too. What the fuck?
1: Check your spam. I, I'm sure not everyone got it. I was surprised I did. I I assumed I would be on some sort of like cosmic blacklist, but... <laughs> But apparently not. They want my money. I mean, they want my 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 money is as green as anyone else's. Oh, well. but Yeah, it's, it, 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 but it is a sign of the times. So the reality is, is we don't know anything that's coming. Like it, I was going to say factions, but we don't know anything about it. And we don't even know if it's really coming out next year. So yeah. it just seems weird to talk about games that are not fully announced yet. Spider-Man 2 is announced, but we haven't seen anything about it. Uh, they have so much to say. I feel like there's going to be a PlayStation bonanza at some point. There has to be. Yeah, maybe it's already happened by the time you heard this. I don't know. I don't know. All right, my friends. Well, appreciate all of you out there being with us uh, and hope you're having a wonderful holiday season when you're first listening to this. Um, these are 15 games that we're looking forward to hope to strike some uh, chords with you with some of these games. I'm sure that you'll have your own selections as well. So let us know what they are. Chris, any closing comments?
3: Uh, I don't know. I I, I feel like feel weird because i feel really wired from that coffee earlier but i don't have much to do today today's kind of like a kind of like one of these one of these nothing days so i feel like i gotta find something to do but i'm probably gonna go meander around the streets and see see what dynamic events happen
1: yeah exactly right The life is the greatest dynamic event (laughs) dustin Furman, any closing comments
4: for a nice little time capsule moment we've already mentioned many times we're recording in advance as of right oh, yeah. now uh world war three is trending on twitter once again apparently there's a missile that hit in poland and so yep. maybe you'll be listening to this from the bunker nuclear yeah. winter maybe who knows what state the world yeah. is in right now <laughs> at be... the time of it we'll <laughs> be there i mean unless we're dead uh but <laughs> if not expect us in the bunker to provide you with the games that will not come out anymore
2: <laughs>
3: yeah it'll, we'll the, try the to get to the world will be atomic heart by the time you guys hear this. So I think, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, two two people in uh, Poland <laughs> got exploded. So we'll see, we'll see how that we'll see how uh, that
1: works. Woo! God, hopefully, hopefully everything's okay, but um, not for those two people, of course, but for our society. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be like when Joan Rivers died, and then she she had like an automatically published tweet months later promoting the new iPhone.
2: And yeah, everyone's yeah, like, yeah. oh,
1: my God, Joan Rivers is tweeting from the grave. It, it, hope, we'll set this lie. We'll set this in some. And even though EMPs are exploding all over the world and all the rest, some server somewhere will survive and push this to an RSS feed.
2: <laughs> and it'll be as if
1: nothing happened at all. But in fact, everything's falling apart. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, my friends. Well, it's time to get out of here. Uh, we'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Appreciate your support. Love and kindness on Patreon and elsewhere. And until next time. Goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Colin's Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show was conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Steven Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, S L V FMA, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald, John Vader, Steven Innerfield, SB, Griffin Queen, Nate Izod, Hargeet Chani, Albion, Logan Turner, Josh Sullinger, Madcats, Bloodborne Cart, Gunner117, Andrew Roman, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, my name is Mayo, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Christopher Nock, Zeno Adam, Sean Gulati, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Sort of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zia Parrox, Relentless. Rex, Drew Mullen, Christian R, Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinosa, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Hallen Rui, John Keegan, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Parades, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wesling, Randall Holsey, Robbie Norman, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalique Zouza, Vornak, Surf the Void, Betty Ann Moriarty, H Tron, Trey Woodward, Antonio C, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, La Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex LePier, Saul Balcazar, Burdo 64, Raul Malen- Mendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnems, Joseph Baker, Cruxes, Kendrick Callas, Jimmy Rodriguez, Caswell, Dave Alvarez, Will, Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritsch, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Darryl E. Nayman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, D.B Cooper, Richter 86, Todd B. Canning, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Oswald, Christopher Davio, Chris Morton, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Graboch, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Jordan Lewis, Organic Produce, Carlos Algarit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, James Hayes, Richard Hebert the Third, Miranda Gruba, Juch, Martin Beck, Joey Andrichek nathan r joe mcparlin gary cavallo christopher moore jacob bell dennis uzel lou and ray loper jonathan cortez john schultz tom quinn Anton k alan trembly tyler bellow ryan t mandel pork and beans tony zuniga sean Battershaw, robbie hensley sean miller alex cabrera hugo's desk peter reynolds anthony vasquez adam Kinniston, william o'carroll Jorge powell verdict phil crone throw seven adam nix josh mckinney michael gates alex gates ryan Robertson, sean chandler lockmore geo corsi joey gonholiker alex Mones, gerald pennington justin Payne, justin wagaman austin riley paul joyce alan hopkins chad lewis enrique perez joshua smallwood Low. Logan Willis, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Ashley Carlson, Mary Scarson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Patrick Harper, MadMock Media, Bull Burkholtz, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well.